walk with Jesus is sweet. Um, so, hey, okay, so I'm going to transition here. And today, first one out of the gates of Salt Company Live is us talking about the problem of evil, which happens to be probably the single most difficult question that comes up against Christianity. And so we're taking a deep dive early on, but the reason for that is, is because here's just the reality is um, a lot of you guys are suffering right now. And, and here's, here's the question of the problem of evil is how can suffering and evil and pain exist in the world if, if God is good, right? And so a lot of you have been asking that question over the last couple of days, last couple of weeks, as things have gotten kind of chaotic and fearful in your life. Um, if you're not suffering right now, you have people in your life likely that either are right now or will as this thing continues to get worse. Um, and even if those things aren't true, I, I would say one of the biggest questions for you in following Jesus for the rest of your life is, will you be able to get through suffering and still follow Jesus? Um, and so that's why we're going here. And it is kind of like a weighty, heavy topic. It's a really hard topic. Um, but the point of this whole thing is to figure out how to follow Jesus together, not to sort of try and just have light, fun conversations all the time. And so we're just going to go there. Um, and this is why this matters a lot to me and why I wanted to talk about it is because this question about God was actually the thing that almost um, caused me to walk away from my faith entirely. And it ended up being the question that brought me into Christian faith for real. So here's what I mean by that is my, my story is that I actually came to Christ um, when I was a junior in high school and my dad got sick. He was diagnosed with cancer and he passed away my junior year of high school. And it was actually uh, on the U of M campus in uh, those hospitals that are over by Superblock at the U of M. That's where my dad passed away. And so I actually accepted Christ that night somewhere on the U of M campus, which is this crazy part of my story ending up up here. But in that process of him getting sick, I started asking questions about the existence of God. I was, I was angry about it. I was frustrated. Um, and I uh, essentially considered atheism. I considered agnosticism. I looked into other religions, kind of anything to sort of take out my anger at God. And I was on the verge of walking away from religion entirely and essentially just becoming an atheist because I was so frustrated with like, why is my family going through this? Why is my dad going through this? Like he's a pretty good dude. So, so why would bad stuff happen to someone who's a pretty good dude? And, um, but then my dad passed away and actually the same thing that had been causing me to doubt God, the, the existence of suffering was the very thing that brought me to him. Um, because that night, what I realized is that there was nothing else in my life that I could hold on to that was strong enough for me in that moment. There was no other foundation that was going to be significant enough for me to live my life on, including my own goodness. That's kind of how I had lived my life to that point was just trying to be a good person, kind of strong, kind of moral. And what I found out that night is actually all of my goodness didn't really matter. It wasn't actually comfort in the pain. And what I found out is that Jesus was the only thing that was sufficient for me in that moment. And so it was actually suffering that brought me to Christ, which I'll kind of unpack why that was in a minute. But that's just why I care so much about this enough to sort of talk about it right away off the bat. Um, but yeah, so 
So, so here's the, the question, and, and even if you're not currently suffering, you will hear this question posed against Christians. You'll have your non-believing friends probably ask you this question at some point in your life, and all of us at some point will ask this question of God. And, and the question goes like this, if God is all-powerful and all-knowing, then why does evil and suffering exist in the world? So it seems like if he was all-powerful and all-knowing, he could prevent things like the coronavirus or other forms of suffering and injustice from happening. Now, in order to answer that question, guys, we need both a rational explanation, so an intellectual answer to that question, but that's actually not enough. That's the foundation, but it's not enough. We also need an emotional answer to that question. So you can even be intellectually convinced that God exists, that he's good, even in the presence of suffering, but suffering is still really hard. And some of you are lonely right now and you don't know how to walk through this. So you still need something to speak to the emotional reality of the situation. So I want to actually try and hit both of those quickly. Intellectually, how could we believe in a God when bad things like this happen in the world? And then emotionally, what does what we believe intellectually have to do with how we live day to day and the hope that we can have? So I want to actually address the rational piece of that first, kind of build that foundation, and then from there talk about how those truths can apply to our lives. So, so here's the deal. I'm going to give you a uh, fairly in-depth argument. I'm for sure not going to fully answer this question, but I'm going to give you a logical argument for why I think we can believe in God, even in the presence of evil, pain, and suffering in the world. So try and follow me on this, all right? And then we'll get to some more practical application in your life relatively soon. And even if you got a pen and paper, you can type along or whatever, maybe jot down some notes of sort of the logic to try and follow this. But um, here's where I want to start. Uh, the problem of evil is not actually evidence against the existence of God, but it's evidence for the existence of God. It doesn't actually prove that God does not exist. It actually proves that he does exist. So let me explain that. Okay, one of the reasons is if there was no God, so if we started from an entirely naturalistic, uh, materialistic perspective of the world, then coronavirus, world pandemics, and all of the suffering included in those things um, would actually, at the very best, be sort of morally neutral and might even, from that perspective, be good things because of the survival of the fittest mentality. And so at sort of the, the best case scenario, if you have no God, coronavirus is a morally neutral thing. All of the destruction and pain and fear and chaos that we've seen in the world, um, we can't make a moral judgment about those things because of the survival of the fittest mentality. Um, here's the problem with that, is every single person on this call knows that that's not true. So all of you intuitively know when you look at the world and when you see something like this happening, or maybe for you, this hasn't landed as much, but you've had suffering in your life. Or when you look at in particular um, injustice that causes suffering, historical things like, um, like slavery, like genocide, like pandemics that have happened in the past. When we look at those things, what we all intuitively know to be true in every human being from every perspective, from atheist to agnostic to deist to Christian, if we're intellectually honest, what we would say is that that stuff is wrong, that it's, that it's not good, that the world should be different than it is. Now, if you start from a place with no God, you actually have no grounds to claim right or wrong. 
because there is no absolute morality. There's just what exists. And so if there is no God, there's no right and wrong. There's no good and bad. There's no should and shouldn't. Uh, and so we have to look at things and just say, oh, these are just the way that things are. But what all of us intuitively know is that that's not actually true, that what's happening is not good in the world should be different. In the real world where God does exist, we know that suffering is wrong and that it's not good. And we cringe at suffering because suffering is a result of evil. So our sin caused suffering. This is not the world that God initially created where pandemics like this would rip apart people's lives. He created a world where there was total and complete goodness and peace. But because of our sin, essentially our decision to go against God's way of living and to live our own way, we brought suffering and evil and pain into the world. And we know that this is not the way the world is supposed to be because ultimately God also doesn't want the world to be like this. That's why he has a plan to make everything. So our intuition to ask the question, how can suffering like this exist is actually evidence of the truth that God exists. Secondly, um, all of us tend to look for purpose in suffering. Okay, so I went for a walk the other day past my, my neighbor's house, and they had written all of these like motivational expressions in chalk on their driveway. And, and they were trying to like find the silver lining in this. So some kids had written like, look, guys, we're not in school. And they're, they're writing these like catchphrases. Why? Why do they feel the need to try and encourage people outside themselves? Because all of us are looking for some sort of purpose in this in order to get through it. In general, uh, what sociologists, scientists, philosophers essentially have universally agreed is that all human beings are meaning making machines that we need to find meaning and purpose in life in order to feel like we we're living a life that matters and a life that's significant. Here's the problem with that. If God does not exist, there is no purpose in the world. There's no purpose for your life. And there's certainly no purpose in your suffering. And here's what's true is that all of us on this call intuitively know that that can't be true. We know that there has to be a purpose to all of this. There's a reason why we're meaning making machines and it's that God has a purpose. He has a meaning behind everything that's going on. He has a greater purpose for our lives and we're longing for it. That's why we look for the purpose. And so this is what I'm, what I'm arguing, is that our desire for justice and right and wrong and suffering actually points to the existence of God, and our desire for purpose and meaning in suffering also points to the existence of God. So the problem of evil is the, the existence of suffering in the world is not actually evidence against God, it's evidence for him. So then the question is, why is it so hard for us to believe that that's true? Why are uh, people outside of Christianity, maybe skeptical of Christianity, why do they see this as evidence, as evidence against God? For us, why does suffering so often cause us to doubt? Here's the answer. is because of the hidden assumptions that you are making about the world that are leading you to false conclusions. So we all have a set of assumptions of things that we believe about the world that are not true, that lead us to false conclusions. And that's not just a theoretical thing. That's actually a practically really detrimental thing in your life because it will lead you to make 
bad decisions about what you believe and how you act. So, so let me unpack that. This is, this is the argument of the, the problem of evil is that a good God would never let suffering happen. So let me just reword that same logic in a slightly different way. This is essentially the argument. It's saying, if I were God, this is not the way that I would run the world. So question, what's the assumption behind that statement? Well, the assumption is that you have enough knowledge to make a good decision about how the world should be run. That you are as smart as God is in order to evaluate his performance of being God. Okay, so let's just test that theory that you have that type of knowledge. Tell me how many frogs are in the pond behind my house. If you know the answer, you can go ahead and speak up. Actually, you might be muted. But um, tell me how many hairs are on my head. Tell me how many hairs are your, on your head. Tell me the name of every person on planet Earth. Okay, you can't because you're not God. You don't have infinite knowledge. And so there's actually pretty good evidence that you don't have sufficient knowledge in order to govern the universe appropriately. So this is what I'm saying, is the issue is not God. The issue is us assuming that we are God, that we're as smart as him, and that we're capable of assessing his abilities to be a good God. But here's what's also true, is God actually does have all of the information that he needs to govern the world appropriately. And this is what God knows, is that suffering is a necessary part of a good world. Now that seems really odd to us, but this is what I would want you to say, or want you to realize, is that we all actually know that to be true, kind of in our lives. So let me give you an example. I uh, have had to take my son Graham to get vaccines multiple times, and it sucks. The dude hates it. And so you literally have to hold him down while a doctor gives him a shot. Now, in that moment, Graham hates the fact that I'm holding him down while this needle is poked into his arm or his leg or whatever. But why am I doing it as his dad? I'm doing it for his good and because I love him. Because what I'm able to see is the greater good that that needle poke is, is incredibly small in comparison to the greater risk of getting a virus. So because I love him, I allow him to endure temporary suffering, suffering for the greater good. See, it's all about perspective, right? And so this is what's true of us, is we are the kid in the scenario, and we're freaking out about God, about the suffering that we're walking through, and we think that it's not fair, and we're mad at him. But what God knows is the greater good, and he's allowing us to endure the suffering for our good, not for our detriment. Now, we actually have historical proof that that's true. In other words, that you can have something that is both difficult and hard, like suffering, and even inherently evil, and it can also be good at the same time. And here's the best proof we have of that is the cross of Jesus Christ. So here's what's true of the cross of Jesus, is that it was simultaneously the most wicked, evil thing that's ever happened in the history of the world. Uh, this is what was happening on the cross, is that Jesus was being unjustly murdered for a crime that 
he didn't commit. And not only that, but the Bible actually says that it wasn't just the people at that time that murdered Jesus, but that we actually participated in that murder through our sin, that our sin hangs him there on the cross. So we are a part of that evil, that wickedness and injustice. So that is at the same time, the most evil thing that's ever happened in the history of the world. And it's the means by which God saved the world and offered you an opportunity to have eternal life in him. So it's simultaneously the most wicked thing that's ever happened and the most beautiful, amazing and good thing that's ever happened. And here's why is because God has allowed us our wills because there is no true love without us being able to have some degree of our own will to make our own decisions, real decisions in the world. And our decisions have caused this brokenness in the world. He's allowed us to have that, but he's also out in front of the evil that has been produced as a result. And he's always manipulating it into good. And if you are God's kid, if you are in Christ, what that means is literally everything that ever happens into your life is for your benefit not your harm. It's for your good. So what I was thinking about with this is, uh, and sorry, I'm kind of stuck on like Graham and kid illustrations because I'm locked up in the house with him. So it's just where my brain's at. So deal with it. So uh, I read this book to Graham about this little hair, like a, like a rabbit, a little rabbit with this, his dad rabbit, whatever. And the conversation kind of goes like this. Like the, the little rabbit is saying, dad, I love you as high as I can jump. And then he jumps as high in the air as he can. And then the dad rabbit goes, I love you as high as I can jump. And he jumps way higher, right? The little rabbit's like, I love you as high as I can reach. And he reaches all the way up. And the dad rabbit's like, I love you as high as I can reach. And he reaches even higher. And then at the end, the little rabbit's like, uh, I love you to the moon. And then the dad rabbit's like, I love you to the moon and back. All right, so it's super sappy, but here's the idea. Dad rabbit is bigger, stronger, smarter than his little kid. And so what happens is the dad is always out in front and is better at loving his kid than his kid is at, at loving him. So, okay. If we were to say that that little rabbit or whatever is actually evil, here's what evil is doing is it's giving God its best shot. It's saying, look at what I can do. I can ruin your world. I can do all of these things against you. I can kill your son. But God is always bigger, smarter, better than evil in the world. He's out in front of it, manipulating it for good. Okay, so that's like the intellectual argument. But here's what that means on an emotional level, on a practical level in your life. Because Jesus Christ was willing to suffer and die on the cross for you, it means that he is loving. So guys, here's what gets me through suffering. I feel like having an intellectual response to pain is important. That's why we went through that. But that stuff I just said is not actually what gets me through the pain. What gets me through the pain is not having answers for why I'm suffering or having this, this, this perfect um, thing that I see come from my suffering, this perfect good that I see come from my suffering. The thing that gets me through is that I trust the character of Jesus Christ that I've seen him come through for me over and over again. And the cross is proof that he loves me even at a detriment to himself. Like any being that is willing to die and suffer for me is a being that I can trust to love me well, even when I don't understand. 
And so I don't have great answers for coronavirus all the time. I don't have great answers for the pain that I've walked through in my own life. But I know that in all of it, Jesus is working for my good because I believe that he loves me because of what he proved for me in suffering and dying for me on the cross. Our hope is in Jesus's goodness, not in our ability to answer all the questions that we have. The second help that this gives us is that Jesus is near to us, that he can relate to us, that he can empathize with us in our suffering. So I want to read to you Hebrews 4. Hebrews 4, starting verse 14, says this, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So let me stop there for a second. This is what this just said is because Jesus became a man and he suffered the way that we suffer, he's able to empathize with us in our weakness. So essentially every other conception of God is that God is far off, distant, totally above us, which is true of our God as well. It's called the transcendence of God. But the unique piece of Christianity is God's imminence, which means that he's close to us, he's near to us. And Jesus understands what it's like to be afraid. He understands what it's like to feel weak. He understands what it's like to ask God to remove suffering from him and to have the answer to that prayer be no. And so this is what that means is Jesus can empathize with you in your pain, but it also says that he was tempted as we are yet without sin. So what that means is even when you don't handle suffering well, even when you doubt and when you're afraid and when you sin, Jesus actually suffered better than you did, and he gives you credit for it. So this is the perfect combination of someone to walk with you through pain, somebody who can empathize with you, relate to you in weakness, but who is stronger than you are and gives you credit for his strength. And that's the, the answer to suffering. And here's, and here's what suffering does ultimately in your lives, guys is that it kills all of your false saviors. So what I mean by that is what the world is figuring out right now is that you can't rely on money because it can be taken from you in an instant. You can't rely on a job because that can go away real fast. You can't rely on family members because all of your family members, including yourself at some point will die. That, that all of your hopes and your dreams and your foundations for this life can crumble in a minute. I can't believe how fast the world changed that all of that stuff can crumble. So the only foundation left is Jesus Christ and his sacrifice for you on the cross. And ultimately, that's what I saw with my dad. Ultimately, that's what resolved this question for me is I got to this place that night where I just had no foundation left. And even my own attempts to be good, um, to be moral, to be a good Christian, that stuff seemed so dumb in that moment of pain. And it, I just knew it wasn't enough. Like me trying to be a good person was not enough to get me through that and to get my family through that. And so, yes, I began following Jesus in that moment because he offered me hope when nothing else did those emotional reasons. But there was also an intellectual conviction that I came to was that nothing else is solid enough in this life only he is solid enough. So if you are a skeptic of Christianity or if you're a Christian, but you're really doubting, um, 
or you go through periods of doubt because of pain, here's what I want to encourage you with. Embrace the fact that you don't know everything and that you're not in control and that that might actually be the best news that you've ever heard because someone who loves you, who is in control and does know everything is working for your good if you'll trust him. If you're a Christian, I want you, when you suffer either now or in the future, I want you to remember that you aren't home yet. So Hebrews 11.1 1 says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. When we trust in Jesus, we believe that there's another world that'll be better than this one. That it's the reason why we want this place to be different than it is, is because there really is a world that we were destined for that is better than this one, where Jesus will turn everything wicked into good. He'll manipulate evil into goodness, where crying will end, suffering and pain will be nothing but like a distant memory. It, it, the Bible talks about how these light and momentary afflictions are nothing in comparison with the eternal weight of glory, the eternal weight of the goodness of being with Jesus forever. And so just remember that this pain won't last. It's temporary until you get home and you're on your way there. So there's a quote from C.S. Lewis that I've read like a thousand times, but I'm going to keep reading it because it's too good to not read it. This is what he said. If I find in my desires, If I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. So when you see that this world isn't what it was supposed to be, you don't have to conclude that God and heaven and eternity don't exist, but you can actually conclude that they really do exist, and that's why you're longing for them. You're just not there yet. So wait on God, trust him in the process of your pain, and he'll bring you home. So I actually want to give Abby just a couple minutes to kind of respond to that. That's kind of theoretical and theological. I want to get this on the ground. And so Abby, can you just talk about what's been hard for you uh, in this whole process? And what's maybe like caused some doubts or some frustrations in you towards God? And then how have you like walked with Jesus through that? Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I think like one that was really good, Jordan. Thanks for sharing all that. Um, and also guys, just a quick reminder, if you guys have questions, feel free to like keep sending those in. Um, but I think that something that like has been interesting and like hard in just processing through what is now our reality. Um, as I think last week, uh, just the weight of the reality of the situation that we're now living in hit me last week where I'll totally admit it. Like two weeks ago, I didn't think that coronavirus was that big of a deal. And like, I'll admit I was wrong because obviously like it's a big deal. And that like hit me last week where I realized like we are literally in a global pandemic and it is affecting not only our city and this country but actually our entire world um and i think the thing that has been like hard with that is because then in realizing that i've also then been thinking of like not only thinking of but like seeing and hearing stories of people that are just hurting and the people that like this pandemic is having really serious hard consequences on and that has been like 
tough to to face that reality and face the consequences of what this means um but i think like the thing um in that that god has been pointing me to is that like if i only looked at that on its own so if i only thought about like okay this is the reality of our global situation and this is the these are the consequences that it has like if i look at that just on its own it is scary and like i am only led to like fear into questioning god of like god i don't understand how good can come from this when i when i hear people in my connection group talking about their grandma that's going to the hospital or their parents that they're worried about who are really sick or my friends losing jobs, whatever. When I hear that and look at it on its own, I don't, it's hard for me to see God, how, how can your promise be true that like good will come of this? But I think like even what Jordan just reminded us of is like the reality of our situation. I have to stack right on top of that, the reality of who God is and what it means to be in Christ. And so like, I cannot just view this scenario on its own, but I have to, I have to look at it through a lens of the reality of who God is and what he's done for us. Because if I don't, I have no hope. Like that's even what God has been reminding us, me in this. And like, even remembering too, like exactly that last thing of what Jordan talked about that, like we, the God that we serve knows more so than any of us, what it's like to suffer. And he will not ask us to walk anything that he hasn't already walked. And in the end, like God is actually all that I need. And I think that that's what even this whole situation is reminding me of, of God is actually the only like thing, the core need of my heart and soul is to be with Christ. And I have the Holy spirit in me because I know Jesus. And so I was even reading, um, Psalm 23 a couple days ago. And I just got stuck on the first verse um, that says, the Lord is my shepherd. I have what I need, period. And so I feel like even in that, God just reminded me that he could take away everything from me. He's the God who gives and he's the God who takes away. But like, if I know Jesus, if I have believed in his life, death and resurrection and professed him as Lord, like if I'm in Christ, then I don't have to like read that and be terrified of what's he going to take away. But I can actually read that and know that I'm sealed by the Holy spirit. I have God. And so because of that, I actually do have everything that I need. And so, yeah, I think that's like the thing I've been finding comfort in, but then realizing like I am human, I'm still a sinner. And on this side of heaven, I will forget that truth. Like probably in five minutes, this call will end. I'll get a phone call from my mom something about my grandma. I don't know. And I'm going to forget and I'm going to doubt, but thankfully God is good and he's kind and he can call us to like, I can say, Lord, help my unbelief, help me to believe these truths. And, and yeah. And I think the last thing too, I uh, talked to Erica and Emma on the phone today and Emma said something really sweet where she was like, I knew that, I knew that you can have joy and suffering. I've heard that said, people say that she's like, but I feel like I'm actually like learning and experiencing that for the first time. And I was like, that is so sick. Like, that's so cool that, that you are learning 
actually what deep joy comes from knowing Christ and nothing else. And so I just even want to encourage you guys, if you are like, how are people having joy in this? Like seek Jesus. That's where you'll find it. So yeah, that's a, those are my thoughts, but HT, have we had any questions? Any, any questions you want to share with the group? We do have a couple of questions. So, um, yeah, feel free to continue to send in questions uh, while we do this Q&A. But um, the first question uh, that I'll throw out to any staff is, how do you prepare for suffering? Do you have any recommendations on, on how to prepare? Staff is thinking. <laughs> I'll hop in. I think, I feel like for myself, it's, well, one, learning to have a lens of seeing what, who God is in scripture, but also something that I feel like I've learned a lot from is just how do I have a right theology of what suffering is and what it provides for us and how we're supposed to grow through it through people who have suffered. So that's maybe reading good books of people who have, or people in your community that you um, come into contact with who has. Um, because that can help our framework because our framework of what suffering is and how it affects us going into suffering is going to affect how we live life during suffering. And so I think it's important to ask those questions, figure out, yeah, a right theology of suffering before going into it. And that's just from asking good questions and then listening. That's what I would say. That's good, Drake. Thank you. Wait, Han, can I add to that really quick? Absolutely. Uh, I think too, you can't prepare yourself for suffering also, like all at the same time of just like, but to trust that God has prepared you for the, for what is before you. And, um, yeah. And I think too, even just like, like knowing that the daily decisions to pursue Christ and to build faithfulness and to build like dig those deep roots in your walk with Jesus will prepare you for that time. So I think it's like, you can prepare yourself by like, like seeking Christ every day and growing in your walk with him. But then also like, you can't prepare yourself for, for what God might bring before you. Like I think of suffering in my own life that I'm just like, wasn't, wasn't prepared for that, but God took care of me in it. So I think that's what I would say too, just to add. Mm. Thanks Abby. Um, okay. Our next question is, um, what is the intellectual logic behind suffering in the lives of non-believers who will be condemned? And Jordan, I'm going to toss that one over to you. So again, I'll say it one more time. Um, and there's actually a little bit more. It says, I'm on board with the logic behind Christians enduring suffering and finding our hope in Christ. But what's the intellectual logic behind suffering in the lives of non-believers who will be condemned? Yeah, it's a good question. It's a really hard question. Um, yeah, if I had more time, I would have thrown out more disclaimers. So I'll throw uh, one out now of like, I'm in process with you guys. I, I don't claim to be an expert. I've thought about it a lot. I've studied some about it, but I, 
uh, I by no means am infallible or completely understand. Um, with that said, let me give you um, a couple thoughts. Okay, so the first one is my official answer is I don't know, but let me explain what I mean by that. So, so there's two, two forms of I don't know. Okay, so one of them is I don't know in the sense of I need to do some research and get back to you. There's a second I don't know that means no human being actually knows because it's within the mystery of God and his character. Um, and I, what I mean is, is number two there. And I think it's important for Christians to be willing to acknowledge that there are things about God and things about the world that we don't fully understand or grasp. Um, and I would include this as one of those things. And so uh, my primary answer in my own mind to that question would be, I, it, it's, it's what I mentioned of like, I don't have a great answer for that, but I have seen God be faithful over and over again in my life and in history. So I trust him even when I don't have the answers. All right. So, so that would be my primary thought for you. The secondary thought is, I think one of the assumptions that can become really detrimental for us, and, and I'm not necessarily saying you have that, but I'm saying I've wrestled through this when I've asked questions similar to this. When we're talking about people who don't know God and will be separated from him, one of the assumptions that can be easy to make is that human beings are inherently good or at least morally neutral. And the reason why that's a detrimental assumption is because what that assumption will lead you to is thinking that any form of punishment or separation from God is not just. But actually what we know from scripture, and I think what we know from the evidence of the world, of the moral atrocities that have been committed throughout the world, is that human beings are not by default good, but actually are by default evil. And as a result of their own choices have separated themselves from God. So in other words, eternal separation from God, C.S. Lewis said this, is, is primarily God looking at a human being and saying, okay, have it your way. Your will be done. Um, because people who are eternally separated from God are all people who were not interested in having a relationship with God. Um, so what that means is, is a person being separated from God forever is not injustice, but it's actually that person receiving what they wanted. Um, and I get that there's some ways that we struggle with that or don't fully understand that, but that would be my, what I think is a biblical answer to that question is that, that the good comes in, in the reality that God has offer, offered an opportunity for all people to access salvation if they want to and that he is not an unjust God in that he doesn't care about sin. There's actual consequences for sin, which we all know is good. That's why we have a criminal court system, is we don't believe that someone who has uh, committed a crime should be let off the hook. Similarly, there is consequences for wickedness and evil behavior, right? And so the goodness found in those things playing themselves out is that 
all people have access to salvation, um, that God pursues all people in his love, and Jesus is the evidence of that pursuit. But at the end of the day, God does not just let evil off of the hook, but actually is a just God. So he's both good and just. That's why I think it's still good, even though that's super hard. And, and, and asking that question for people that you care about is super hard. And it should be hard. And it's hard for all of us. But I trust the character of Jesus because he's proven himself over and over again. Thanks, Jordan. Um, our next question, I'm going to pull up Ab Gons for this one. How do you mentor unbelievers who are suffering? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, I think, hmm, I think the first thing that I would say is one, just listen, like be a great stinking listener because like often to someone is that's like deeply hurting what they need more than you saying, Hey, well, believe this. Hey, the Bible says this. Hey, this is what I know. Like they actually just need you to listen. Maybe to just like keep asking them questions and then like give them a hug. <laughs> like, so that's like the first thing that I would say is be a really like you can care for them well by listening well. But then also just like I think asking them questions and then listening to like how they're responding. So maybe they're responding like literally asking these types of questions like this, this stinks. What's going on? Like, like, how could, how could there be a God who does this? Or maybe they're wondering, like, how are, like, I have seen you suffer. Like, how do you have joy? Like, whatever. And just share with them your life and your faith. And I want to, like, even, like, say with that, that, like, your job as a follower of Jesus to your non-believing friend who's suffering isn't to, like, necessarily, like, give them all the right answers. But I think it's like humble yourself and admit like, yeah, I don't know the answers and this stuff is tough, but let me tell you about the person of Jesus who has changed my life, changed my heart and is the reason why I can have deep joy and suffering. So I say, listen well, ask them questions and then share with them your life and your faith, not necessarily like these are the answers. So those are some things I would say if any other staff peeps want to add to that. Yeah, I'll just add to that real quick. Um, yeah, unbelievers, I think, are really touched by when you give them the full extent of your vulnerability. So you tell them both, like, not just what's happening on a ma macro level, but what's happening in yourself of the fear that you feel and the hurt and the brokenness that you've experienced. And with that, the beautiful hope that you have. So you pair them both. So if you do this without this, they won't believe this. And if you do this without this, they get no gospel. So you do both, right? You give them the full extent of your brokenness and your vulnerability, and you're just transparent with them the same way you'd be transparent with a believer in your connection group or whatever. And then you give them the hope that you have. And so that parallel is really powerful and gives evidence to both that this actually works versus this and this is still real and so you don't become that person that's like well your pain doesn't matter your pain does matter but the cross is big enough for your pain so that's my little thing on that thanks tony thanks abby um okay our last question 
Uh, I'm going to toss this over to Drake. Uh, <laughs> you're on with Drake. Um, okay, what are some practical exercises to keep in God's word and prayer over this quarantine? Um, I think, yeah, something that I've already learned is just that you have to be intentional with it. And that's something that Jordan has walked us through as a staff team. Um, but when you have so much time in your day, you're always going to be like, oh, I have later to do this, or I could do this later in the afternoon. And then you keep pushing it off. And so when it comes to establishing those rhythms, I think it's just important to find a time in the day for reading, find a time to get outside and prayer walk, find a time for those extended moments. Um, and that's what I've seen be extremely helpful for me already, as there's just been such a shift in what our schedules are like. It's good to get some normal rhythm. So yeah, that's been helpful for me. I don't know if anyone else had anything there. Any other staffers want to jump in there? Okay. <laughs> I will take that as a no. Um, okay. I've got one, one more question. Um, and then we will close it out here, but, um, these are great questions, guys. Thanks by the way, for sending these in, but, um, as Christians, how do we rightly see and care about physical needs while also caring about spiritual needs? Physical, su pardon me, physical suffering and spiritual suffering? Question mark. Um, Jordan? Yeah. Um, so I think one of, one of the unfortunate things that we tend to believe as Christians is that the spiritual is important and the physical is less important. Um, I could nerd out on the philosophical reasons for that, but I'm not going to. I'll save you that. But that was actually um, a main philosophy of Plato, uh, and it's not a Christian thought. Um, so from God's perspective, he created... Uh, our spiritual selves and our physical selves, and both are for him, right? Um, so physical suffering and spiritual suffering are both wicked in the sense that they were not a part of the original design of the earth and a result of sin. And so as Christians, caring about people, image bearers, and the kingdom of God, part of what it means to bring the kingdom of God is to bring healing across the board. So healing spiritually and healing physically in ways that we're able to, right? Um, so in general, Christians care about both deeply and want to help people with both. The unique problem with this is you try to help people who are sick, you expose yourself to the virus, which is not only detrimental to you, but it's detrimental to society as a whole. And so I think I've been struggling with that, guys, of like, my instinct is I want to go do something. I want to like serve food somewhere. I want to, I don't know, I want to go meet with you guys and some of you that are struggling. I want to like meet you in person and, and hang out and talk. And, and I tend to have this like, ah, I'm not going to get sick or if I don't, I don't care. Um, but I've been checking that in myself because uniquely in this situation, uh, the best thing I think we can do to love our neighbor is to stay home and to not spread the virus. Um, but in general, we care about people's spiritual and kind of physical flourishing. Also, Kate is making an appearance on Tony's screen. What's up, Kaylee and Kate? 
Welcome to the Salt Company Zoom call. Hi guys. Hey Kate, say hi. Hi. Yeah. <laughs> say hi. Okay. Cool. Thanks, Kate. Amazing. Okay, um, guys, thanks so much for joining us. Um, oh, <laughs> um, thanks so much for joining us for the first Saltco Live. Um, we hope and pray that this was helpful for you. Um, and yeah, I know that I'm sure there are a lot of questions still going on in your head. Don't hesitate to reach out to us. Um, but I'm going to pray for us and then, um, yeah, you can go get dinner or whatever you're going to do after this, but let's pray. Heavenly father. Um, I thank you that you are with us, God. Um, I thank you that what Jordan talked about in terms of you being um, imminent, that, that you are near to us. I thank you that in the midst of our suffering, um, you are here. And I thank you that you are a God that hasn't um, stayed distant, that you've um, experienced suffering yourself and, and that you share with um, us in our suffering. And Father, I pray for those um, students um, and even us, uh, myself, I pray for us when we doubt, um, yeah, just doubt your goodness or doubt your presence. Father, would your spirit speak, um, speak loudly into our hearts? God, would you um, remind us of what's true? Father, I pray um, right now for um, all of the people who are suffering um, deeply and have deep wounds right now, God, would you comfort them? God, First Corinthians says you are a God of comfort. Um, and so I pray that over my friends, I pray that um, over this world, over our city, Father, I pray that you would, um, yeah, help us see, um, see what's true. I pray that you would help us long for heaven in the midst of our suffering and would we look to our savior um who has gone before us and is ahead of us um father we love you and we thank you for the opportunity to even gather um virtually um god would you be with us as we go from this place and thanks for um yeah being present with us it's in the name of jesus that i pray amen okay guys on that note, we are ending this thing. We love you guys, and we will see you next Wednesday at 4 p.m. Apply for leadership. <laughs>